Hey guys, this is Joe, founder and host of StartupRadio.io. As you guys may already know, I've run this podcast full-time since January 2021. I'm very happy to announce that Anchor FM is my sponsor for this podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free and it's easy to use, even for a newbie. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to StartupRad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome everybody. Happy New Year, guys. May 2021 be better than 2020. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Joe from Celebrate.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany. This recording is in media partnership with the Crypto Asset Conference 2020. And yes, the conference is already over, but there will be another one coming up in 2021. Go down here in the show notes and check out their website. Also, the organizer is Philipp Sandner, professor at Frankfurt School of Management and Finance and head of its Blockchain Institute. Um, you can learn more about him and the upcoming law that permits tokenization of financial assets in Germany. Go down here in the show notes and there you'll find the link. That said, I got another guy here who is actually working on tokenization of financial assets. Hi, Radoslav, welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me uh, and Happy New Year from my side as well. Uh, that feels a little bit funny because we are recording this end of November, but I told him I made my planning. That's a publication date, and that's why we have to say Happy New Year. Um, you, you're glad 2020 is over? Well, personally, and also business-wise, it has actually been a good year. But of course, uh, with the whole corona situation, uh, I hope that overall things are going to improve. And I hope that 2021, on a macro level, will be a better year than 2020. Ha! There is the trader speaking on a macro level. Let's get a little bit into what you are actually doing. As always, we have linked your LinkedIn profile down here in the show notes, wherever you're listening to this or watching this. There is a link to our blog post and in the blog post, there is a link to your LinkedIn profile. So people can see, for example, that you worked with Green Hill and Co in the past. This is a small investment bank. What did you actually do there? So I was an analyst intern and uh, I was working on M&A transactions, mostly uh, mergers and acquisitions in the chemicals industry because this is one sector where Greenhill in Germany is particularly strong at. And I learned a lot of skills around financial modeling, 
um, cash flow analysis, I did a lot of market analysis. So this was like one of my first career steps and like one of my first real internships that I did. Hmm. I'm a little bit childish and uh, first thing in my mind that went up, huh, merchants in the chemical industry and if it doesn't work out, it goes boom. Uh -huh. um, you, you're, you're, <laughs> you're laughing in the background, but people cannot see or hear it. Um, you then went on to actually work full time and um, your positions included a position with Roland Berger, a German strategy consulting company, competitor to, let's say, BCG, Bain and McKinsey. And you've also been a trader at Deutsche Bank. Tell us a little bit about what you do there, what you learned there, and how it brought you to your current position. So at Deutsche Bank, I was in structured products sales for institutional clients. I got there because I did a year abroad uh, while I was at university. I went to University of Warwick and I did a course on financial derivatives and I got super excited about the field. And so towards the end of my studies, I applied to Deutsche Bank um, and I was at a workshop uh, in Frankfurt and my group actually has won a competition that they did as a part of the workshop. And then they offered me a role um, at this desk uh, in London. And I thought that was a great opportunity. Uh, funny thing was I started there at the beginning of the year 2008 which was a pretty difficult time in financial markets and particularly in structured products because the financial crisis was uh, approaching its peak. Um, so on the one hand, I learned a lot of things about uh, derivatives, about structured products, of course, but on the other hand, I also learned uh, what kind of an impact a financial crisis like the one that we have saw, seen in 2007, 2008 can have on large bracket banks such as Deutsche Bank. Um, and after that, I decided to move uh, on in my career uh, and to go into management consulting because I felt like I would like to have a broader perspective on business, on, on companies, on management. And uh, I felt like consulting is a good way to do that. And so I started at Roland Berger as a consultant and I was advising all different types of companies from automobile suppliers to um, metal processing companies and also a lot of banks. So having a financial services background, of course, I was staffed on a lot of banking related projects, both in Europe and also in Western Africa. Uh, for example, I was participating in a post-merger integration of two Nigerian banks, which was a great experience and definitely not your ordinary consulting project. Um, and all of these experiences made me think that, you know, at some point I would like to start my own business within the financial services space. And so that's how things evolved into becoming an entrepreneur. Hmm. Post-merger integration in Western Africa. That sounds pretty interesting. Um, then what, what did actually happen that you decided really to take the step, to take the leap of faith and start Bitbond. We've been in the past. The 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 the, the funniest thing was that um, an AI startup that we just interviewed was uh, drinking some wine, and then they decided they do an AI wine recommendation um, tool, which 
kind of has some relations to um, the real economy. But how did you get started with Bitbond? Because I do understand you pivoted and in the beginning, the, the, the idea was pretty different, right? Yes, yeah, so Bitbond started out with a business model of being an SME lending platform. So we were brokering loans for small and medium-sized enterprises, and we did that on an international level. So most of the SME financing companies, um, one the, the relatively large one that's still up and running, for example, is Ivoca or Funding Circle, um, they focus on providing credit to SMEs in one, maybe two or three countries. And what we started out with was an international platform because I felt like there's a lot of emerging market opportunities out there and we wanted to create a loan marketplace where someone from Germany could fund a loan in, um, um, in, in Spain, for example. Um, and in order to achieve that, we were looking for efficient methods for payment processing because when you do cross-border payments, especially when you go outside of the European SEPA region, then payments become relatively expensive and take a long time to be processed. And so we discovered that we could use um, blockchain and cryptocurrencies to do that. And so in the early days of Bitbond, we actually utilized Bitcoin as a payment rails. Uh, and even though the loans were denominated in euros or in dollars, we used Bitcoin to get money efficiently from A to B. And with that, we gained a lot of experience in utilizing blockchain in general as a payment method. Uh, of course, at some point we developed everything further. At some point we moved away from using Bitcoin um, to a Euro-denominated stablecoin called Euro-T for payment processing so that um, you don't have an exchange rate fluctuation during the settlement time. Um, we established a highly automated credit scoring mechanism. Um, but overall, this business model uh, did not deliver the margins that we were expecting. So the path to profitability was still too far away um, and we were struggling with relatively high customer acquisition costs. Um, and then at the same time, we saw that there is uh, a strong movement towards tokenization in the market. and. I, since I had a strong capital markets background, I said, well, let's try to take that as an opportunity. Let's take the expertise that we have. And let's first of all, try to issue a tokenized security ourselves, um, which we've done in 2019. And then the new business model starts to evolve. I would, um, first, of course, SEPA uh, is a single European payment area. And since not everybody has a background, in uh, financial markets or capital markets, um, the exchange rate fluctuation is the daily change between, for example, euro and US dollar and the daily fluctuations there are on a level a normal user or vacationer like you and me would never realize. But if you're talking about like a million, a uh, hundred millions, then they really take effect. So that said, um, I was wondering at this point, you already had investors. How did you sell them on changing your business model? What was what was um, the thing? Because when I talked, for example, with Claude from Booker Tiger, uh, uh, he um, said uh, some things about that. And I would be interested on your perspective as well. 
Yeah, so our investors, uh, we were having a lot of discussions about that, of course, and about the potential change of our business model. Um, but ultimately, we agreed that um, the SME lending model doesn't deliver the results that we were hoping for originally. Um, and when, when we started Bitbond as an SME lending platform, um, there were plenty of other companies going into online lending, um, but it has proven that you know not all of them turned out to be very successful and there was just some aspects around the business model that have turned out to be more difficult than we originally thought which you know is something that can happen when you start um, you know an early stage venture and the good thing was that we already had a new business model because when we issued the first tokenized security in Germany in 2019 which received Bafin approval we did something that was quite a big milestone in capital markets in Germany and in Europe. And we were approached by a lot of companies whether we would share our technology and our expertise around tokenized securities. So we had already inbound requests from B2B customers about the software that we built for our own issuance. And therefore the decision to switch the business model wasn't as difficult as if we did not really know whether there was a market for what we were trying to build. So we were kind of in the relatively favorable situation that we already knew that there is a market for our new product, so it was easier to make that decision. I assume this conviction that there is an actual market, you used some tools, um, some market size estimation, um, some interview of potential customers, and uh, then got it all together and presented it to your investors? Yes, we did that. So we did research, um, but we were signing on actual clients as well. So, And that's normally one of the strongest signals that you can have. Of course, it's not representative, right? When you sign on two, three or four clients, it doesn't immediately give you an idea about the total market size. But um, the fact that you have inbound requests and pretty much every potential client that you speak with is interested in the topic is one very strong signal. And then the other thing that we did was a more research-related part. Of course, we looked, you know, how many banks are there in Germany, in Europe, how many of them do have a capital markets-related business or business line, um, and what are our expectations into what types of assets are going to be tokenized in the near future. And this taken together, we saw, for example, there's over 6,000 banks in Europe alone. Most of them touch capital markets products in some way or the other, either as an arranger for corporate issuers or in their wealth management business for their clients that they have in wealth management. And so we, we saw that there's good um, material and, and good data on, on a pretty sizable market. And that also, of course, enforced and, and, and strengthens us in the opinion that this is a business model that we wanted to go after. Hmm. And then you started with Bitbond. What was actually the first, you, you briefly mentioned your, your first tokenization. Uh, can we talk about that? And then uh, like a little bit more general, what, what you could do with your platform, because this is a B2B podcast. And I'm sure um, the idea will tickle the ears of some of our listeners or the eyes of some of the viewers. 
Yeah. So when we saw that tokenization was becoming a real phenomenon, and this was happening during the big ICO wave of 2016-2017, we were expecting that this will move to the more regulated segment of the market at some point. And on the one hand, there are huge technical advantages and efficiency gains from tokenizing the proof of ownership in a financial asset instead of having a paper certificate. But we knew that we need to make it compatible to the regulated world. And so we have drafted a legal concept that we approached the regulator with Buffin in Germany. And we reached a conclusion as to how, a, as it's called, a dematerialized security, which is a security that doesn't have an underlying paper certificate, but that purely exists as a digital token, how that could be issued under the current legal framework. So even before the Electronic Securities Act that um, you recently discussed with Philip Zandner. And when we had that concept, we then drafted the proper securities prospectus, submitted that to BaFin for approval. And in January 2019, we were in the fortunate situation to have it approved. And we were the first out of over 130 companies that were attempting to do something similar, but that got rejected by the regulator. And so in mid-2019, we issued our tokenized bond. And with that, we established tokenized securities in Germany. And then from there, we took it and started to create software that allows banks and other financial intermediaries and issuers to issue tokenized securities. And that's pretty much token minting and lifecycle management of securities. And then there is a second component, which is custody. Uh, when you have um, institutional investors, also retail investors, they typically want to have a custody solution. And so we developed a tech stack to provide banks and other intermediaries with the software so that they can provide custody services to their customers. We may also, for the people without financial background, add custody used to be somebody with a big vault and they just lock up your paper-based securities there now it is more of um, a simplification because many uh, large companies out there they have all their holdings all across the world and they work with one or several uh, global custodians and they always can always pinpoint where is my security right now if it's still physical or digital who holds it for me uh, how did i uh, how do i get my uh, dividend payments um or my interest payments from there and um have a like one layer to kind of for counting and controlling purposes as well and that's what they've been looking for i assume as well um, yes, definitely, because when, well, so with digital tokens, you have the option to do something that's called self-custody. So I could have a digital wallet on my phone where I can store Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, but where I could equally store tokenized securities. However, the, the big majority of investors, both retail and institutional, they will want someone else to safe keep their assets. Just like we only keep a certain amount of cash in our wallets, 50 euros, 100 euros. If we, if we have more money, we'll typically bring it to the bank. And the bank is a custodian of my cash because I don't want to have 1,000, 5,000 euros under my pillow because it's simply more secure when I bring it to the bank. 
And so the same is true for securities and other financial assets. Um, when I have substantial value in them, I want someone else to take care of these assets as a custodian because I trust them more that they have a very professional security setup. And so when I do that and then when I, you know, when my bank offers me custody services and I deposit my tokenized securities with them, then on top of just storage, they also offer me additional services like reporting, for example, because when I make interest gains in a year, I need to report that to the tax authorities alongside my tax returns. And so the bank would, for example, provide me with a tax statement. Um, and so these are things that custodians also take care of. And so they are add-on services on top of just the storage part. And we may also add why you actually chose bonds for your uh talk for your first tokenization and your research um because for most people securities is just equity like shares yes yeah, so securities we understand it as a general term for all types of assets that are fungible because fungibility is one of the core concepts of a security fungibility means that it doesn't matter whether i own the first stock, the second or the third one of a BMW share, for example, right? All of them are the same and I can interchange them and they are fungible because I can easily trade them in a what's called secondary market. So I can trade them with other parties. And, and those are the core features of a security, but whether the underlying instrument is, a, um, is an equity or is, um, is a bond or is even a fund, for example, ETFs are exchange traded funds, which are pretty much uh, securities as well. Um, that doesn't really matter. Um, the reason we chose a bond for our initial uh, and first issuance was that tokenizing equity under the current regulatory framework is much, much more difficult than tokenizing bonds. This is going to change, though, because um, the German government released its blockchain strategy in 2019, and there it stated that they will make it possible for the market to issue tokenized bonds of all types of forms. Plus, at a later point, they will also change the financial regulation so that tokenized equity, um, like your common stock, can also be tokenized. So this is something that's more of a thing of the future, but it's definitely going to come. And uh, we also have to discuss um, that bonds have uh, many more characteristics than, for example, equity. For example, uh, one share in BMW, as you said, is equal to any other. Um, but uh, BMW, for example, they issue bonds like five for five years and then they repaid for 10 years and then they repaid. Some of them will be a little bit higher in yield, some of them a little bit lower depending on the market. Some of them will be in British pounds, some of them in US dollars and so on and so forth. And you start to see how just one big company can have several issuances out in bonds. And that makes the administrative burden pretty high because when you have a bond, you have to pay interest and you always have to know where the people you have to pay the interest to and so on and so forth. So there's a lot in complication in the company that issues the bond and somebody has to handle it. And of course, it's always better when you digitize it and just have to press a button, right? Exactly. So payment processing, as an example, is one core topic that becomes much more efficient with tokenization. 
because in, in, a, in a conventional bond, for example, you would work with a party that's called a paying agent. A paying agent at the end of the day is a bank that will collect the interest from the issuer. So from the, if we stick with the BMW example, BMW has to pay interest on one of their outstanding bonds. The paying agent will collect the entire amount and then distribute that to the bondholders. And that's a service that's actually relatively expensive. Um, but with the help of the blockchain and with the help of tokenization, you can completely automate that service and you pretty much don't need that paying agent anymore. So BMW as an issuer, which is typically paying for the paying agent services, would not need that services anymore and could save the money for it. Plus, the investors would even get their money faster because the payment processing normally takes several days. And in the tokenized world, when you have a digital euro, for example, you can do that with a click of a button. That is pretty cool. And if I would be a paying a, a payment agent, I would be thrilled to hear this interview. <clears throat> um, <laughs> he, he's smiling, but you cannot see it. Um, uh, uh, now we understand a little bit what you guys are offering, uh, what Bitbond is, and at least we see you can smile pretty nicely. Um, that said, what you guys are actually looking for, like investors, like additional clients, like international expansions, what are the next plans and what you guys are looking for? So first of all, obviously what we want to do is we see ourselves as a market leader in the tokenization space today, um, but we're not the only company with uh, tokenization software and, and our goal is to expand our market share, probably just like any other company. So what we're most interested in is to speak to companies that are interested in tokenization, that are interested to uh, partner up with companies like Bitbond in order to establish their own tokenization capabilities with the help of our software. And we're primarily focused on banks and financial intermediaries. Uh, one question, could any company approach you like from the US, from Japan, or do you have legal restrictions there? So in theory, the technology works pretty much the same way across the globe. And we already do have clients from outside of Germany. Um, for example, we're currently working on a project in Southeast Asia in order to tokenize corporate bonds. So the technology is pretty much the same uh, with almost no changes. Therefore, it's, it's open to clients from outside of Germany. I see, I see. Would you guys uh, also uh, be open to talk to new external investors? Yes, so in general, as a, as, a, as a tech company CEO, you're probably always interested to talk to investors. Of course, there has to be a good strategic fit. It's important to us that investors have a good understanding of the business model and that they share in our vision. But the good thing is we're in a market that is growing extremely fast because this market is just being built right now. And therefore, you know, external funding can always help, up, help to speed up um, the go-to-market approach. Therefore, yes, if someone is interested in this type of business model, we're very happy to talk to them on an, yeah, as an investor. And everybody who'd like to reach out to you or learn more, go down here in the show notes, wherever you're listening to this or watching this, there's a link to our blog post and there you will not only find the link to Bitbond, but also as well to uh, as to your personal LinkedIn profile so people can reach out to you directly. We are now recording close to 30 minutes and I just want to say because 
It's a Friday afternoon. You especially made time for us. Thank you very much. Greatly appreciate it. Um, it was a pleasure talking to you. Hope to have you back uh, sometime in the future. And keep in mind, guys, if you like to meet more companies like this one, go down here in the show notes and check out the next cryptocurrency, uh, crypto assets conference in Frankfurt. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Jan. It's been a pleasure to be on the show. That's all, folks. Find more news, streams, events, and interviews at www.startuprad.io. Remember, sharing is caring.